Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month, we have a special guest, and our guest is Dr. Holm Nguyen. Welcome, Dr. Holm. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Well, glad to have you. Um, And also, to our faithful listeners, uh, welcome back, and thank you for being a part of our family now in our sixth season, six years of doing Perkins Port Platform, and we are uh, happy to have over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad to have you uh, with us and to have joined us. Um, today, we are excited to have Dr. Holm because we're going to talk about um, the mechanics of meditation and thinking about how to integrate meditation into um, one's leadership practice. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Holm is the founder of MindKind Institute in New York State. Um, he is an executive coach, a certified executive coach, and um, so we, we know that we're going to learn a lot from him today. Um, I, I just want to start, uh, Dr. Holm, if you could please mm. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the MindKind Institute first um, and what, okay. what you do there exactly. Wonderful. Thank you for uh, offering this opportunity for me to share and uh, uh, very briefly about what MindKind is. Uh, the, the name MindKind Obviously, mine, when I explain mine kind, I point to the head and then I point to the heart. Imagine I point to the head to say, uh, mine kind helps leaders of organization to have more clarity in their mind and at the same time allow them to connect with their heart, um, their, their compassion, their kindness. So a combination of bringing mindfulness and compassion into leadership development and also bring uh, mindfulness and compassion into the workplace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's our, 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 our mission. Okay. And so what, what are the, some of the things that you do? You, you uh, do retreats, yes. seminars. What, tell, tell us a little bit about that work. So there are three things that we offer through MindKind. One is leadership and executive coaching. So, that would mean uh, I'm working one-on-one with a leader of organization, whether, you know, a superintendent or school principals or CEO of a company, and we engage in a one-on-one conversation, uh, and I provide uh, a deep listening and also advising and sometimes mentoring uh, of a, a leader. So that's the executive coaching part. And there's, mm-hmm. there's the uh, components around uh, group coaching where we work with small groups or small teams. Um, and again, doing uh, uh, leadership development uh, with team, uh, team process, t- uh, mm-hmm. trust building with teams, 
So that's one. And then the other component of our work uh, is uh, an online program uh, bringing mindfulness and compassion in working with school leaders, with uh, physician leaders, with lawyers, uh, with educators. So that particular platform allow us to reach uh, sometimes hundreds and thousands of people throughout the world uh, as they going to uh, learn about mindfulness and how to apply it uh, both at a personal level as well as a professional level. Mm-hmm. And then the last part of our, our work is um, mindfulness retreats. And so uh, what that means is people take a day or two days, sometimes three days uh, off to go into a place where they can go deeper into the practice of mindfulness, how to uh, de-stress, how to let go of things that no longer work for them, and then uh, step into more uh, of a place of power of, uh, in a way, allow them to recalibrate um, their energy and their uh, personal effectiveness. So that's the three things. As we offer all three things, the foundation of our work is mindfulness mm. and compassion. So there's two components, mindfulness. And, and what mindfulness is, is the, uh, the, the capability to be fully present, free from judgment, meaning uh, negative judgments about something, and being fully intentional from moment to moment. Mm. Okay, so that, that's the definition of what mindfulness is. So how to cultivate the capacity to be fully present, fully intentional, and free from uh, distraction from the, mm-hmm. the judgments. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, compassion is the capacity to both um, have uh, forgiveness and kindness towards oneself and empathy and kindness towards others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so c- mindfulness and compassion goes together. Sure. Um, so that's the work that we do. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, um, I, you, I was going to ask when you were talking about um, mindfulness, I, you know, I hear, and certainly if I had to say for me, in the last five years, it has certainly been something that I've heard more of in the, mm-hmm. the, and, and in the workplace. And you're seeing more articles being written about uh, being mindful and mindful practice. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, those are, those are three really big hurdles um, <laughs> for you to mention one uh, mm. given all of the distractions uh, being fully present in a moment is is difficult for a lot of people um, these days, as I'm sure you are you are well aware. But then, uh, fully intentional uh, in the moment, and then free from judgment. Those are really three, as we would call, heavy lifts in any practice <laughs> yes. of, uh, uh, for anyone. So um, I guess what I'm what I'm really uh, curious about is. What do you find um, since we have, you know, in, in the audience, we have a lot of people that listen in 
um, as it is our uh, one of our uh, focus uh, audiences mm-hmm. um, uh, is the the group of uh, school leaders and district leaders. I'm sure they're wondering. Um, you know, you said you're a, a coach. Um, I'm sure you're, mm-hmm. they're wondering how how does this help from day to day. Uh, in some ways that are not immediately obvious, if you could share, mm. you know, just some so a little insight to us about why is this something that someone who is a, a, a leader um, should be mm. should be engaging to put to bring as a part of their practice. Yes, um, thank you for that question. So perhaps I could start with um, first sharing my own personal experience of how I come about this and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I ended up practicing this and then also uh, researching it uh, through my work at Columbia and now also teaching it. And then also, Mia, perhaps I could also share a few examples of um, leaders that I have worked with and what they have to deal with and how do, how, how do we go about applying it. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> So perhaps uh, I can start with um, just sharing briefly about my background. Um, I started my career as a theater director uh, using theater and arts uh, creativity as a way to help uh, refugees who have gone through wars and displacement. So people who have been traumatized uh, use theater as a way to tell their life stories and to make sense of, of who they are. Yeah, um, partly because it was my own experience of growing up in Vietnam and uh, born and raised in the middle of a war and escape on a boat. And I was uh, part of the wave of Vietnamese boat people who escaped from the communists back in the 80s, uh, ended up in a refugee camp and, and came to the U.S. And so the work that we were doing was very, very powerful and beautiful work. And we were traveling all over the country uh, performing uh, this particular play called Laughter from the Children of War. So telling the experience of war from the perspective of children. So you can imagine mm-hmm. the sort of the, the heartbreaking and the, mm-hmm. uh, the uplifting experience of that. Now, eight years into that work, uh, I developed a, a terrible ulcer that was so painful that I couldn't sleep laying down. I had to sleep sitting up. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried different medicine. It worked for a few months, and then it stopped working. And then I also developed a terrible migraine that uh, turned into insomnia. I couldn't sleep. So I realized somewhere along there with all the performance and uh, focus on the external uh, uh, achievement, I had developed these uh, psychosomatic symptoms. And then at that same period, I had this one experience that changed my life. Um, A a young actress came up to me and, uh, you know, right before a performance and she said, you know, I need to talk with you and I need to talk with you now. And I said, I don't have time. We have a performance to do. And so I walk off and then she blocked me again. And she said, I need to talk with you now. And I could see that she was like about to burst into tears. And so I said, tell me fast. And then she said, 
you know, the work that we do is very important and inspiring work, and that's why I come to this com- I came to this company. And that you are charismatic and you're creative, so you get people to do what you want. But I just want to tell you, I do not feel loved when I work with you. Mm. I do not feel loved when I work with you. Of course, in that moment, I thought, what? What in the world are you talking about? We have work to do. We have a performance to do. Audience coming in. Care if you feel loved, you know, mm-hmm. get to your place mm-hmm. and perform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, after that experience and combined with all of this psychosomatic uh, trouble that I was experiencing, I had basically a, a, a burn down, uh, a burn, burnout and breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't do it anymore. And so um, that's when uh, the question came up in my mind was, what is love? What does love have to do with anything? And how do I mm-hmm. work with love? Mm-hmm. I know how to achieve. I know how to be successful. I know how to get people to perform. I just didn't know what love is and why is it important. I have no answer to that. And so part of the, the, the sort of like a, a hitting the wall for four years after that experience, I could not lead a group. I could not be in front of people. I basically checked myself into a meditation center and learned to heal myself mm-hmm. from, a, from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sharing with you an experience that I have now. It's been 20 years. Mm-hmm. I have not taken one pill of Tylenol or aspirin or anything for headaches or stomach pain in eight in almost 20 years. Mm. How about that? Because I've learned how to heal myself from the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and the process of learning how to practice mindfulness is how to release all of this anxiety, all of this stress, all of this um, uh, craving and aversion that's, that's rooted inside my own psyche. Mm-hmm. And then also through the process of learning mindfulness, I actually develop uh, compassion. And mm-hmm. earlier when I said about love, how to work with love, is how to work with compassion, how to work so that people feel that they are cared for, they are deeply respected, and that they are loved. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I'm on the mission to, to both uh, at a psycho-mental level, psycho-somatic uh, uh, level, is bring healing to the body, but also healing to the mind and spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my own experience. Now, I'm speeding forward. Speeding forward 14 years later, and I walk into teacher's college, uh, had gotten myself into a master's program, and uh, I was interested in researching mindfulness or studying mindfulness and organization. And so when I got into the doctorate program, I told one of my advisors that I want to research mindfulness and leadership development within the context of organization. And I remember one of my advisors said, I don't know what that is. I don't know how you're going to research that. 
maybe that's not a good idea. Because I don't know how you're going to oper- operationalize a research on mindfulness in the organization. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I remember at that time, uh, I was invited to uh, go over to the business school to teach meditation to uh, stress out MBA students at Columbia Business School. And I was told at the time, uh, don't use the term mindfulness because people will think it's something Buddhist and, you know, it will be very distracting, call it something else. <laughs> and so I remember calling this one workshop, Whole Brain Strategy for Business Success. <laughs> okay. Whole Brain Strategy for Business Success. Of course, it makes sense to the business school students. It has the word, you know brain and the word success in the title success. so it right, was sold right. out it was sold out there was a long list of people wanting to get in now seven years later the term mindfulness is everywhere right mm-hmm. the new york mm-hmm. Times probably once a week have an article on mindfulness uh Huffington post uh the time magazine has this long uh feature uh article on mindfulness and there's so much research now and um, I myself did my uh, doctor, doctorate uh, dissertation on mindfulness and leadership. I researched how leaders of organization, uh, what motivate them to learn mindfulness, and then how do they go about incorporating it both at a personal level but also as leaders of their organization. How do they go about incorporating it? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so that's my background. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm going to uh, share with you perhaps maybe one or two stories of, of experiences of uh, uh, my work in, in coaching uh, leaders. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. So I had this one, I had this one, I'm in this moment, I'm remembering this one experience of uh, coaching a vice president of a very large company a media company and uh, she was sent to me because of some HR issues and uh, you know they said that she had some anger issues and you know so I was brought in to work with her now in the process of this initial conversation uh, I learned that uh, at one point she was an Olympic swimmer, an Olympic mm-hmm. competitive swimmer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, and this is like literally exactly what she said. She said, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning in mm-hmm. my own thoughts. Sometimes I feel like I'm drowning in my own worries. And so I thought, whoa, what an incredible irony of someone who's like Olympic swimmer Mm-hmm. So she clearly knew how to swim, and yet in her own mind, she feels like she's drowning. Mm-hmm. So it's really the state of mind that I think many of us experience, like we're just overwhelmed by the amount of thoughts passing through our psyche. And many of these thoughts are worries and regrets and, uh, you know, guilt and shame and anger and pride. We're constantly churning in, inside these thoughts of, of judgments. 
mm-hmm. good or bad, right or wrong, etc. Now, there are times when important to have judgment, right? To to say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to make a right or I'm making a left, or sure. I'm going to eat this or that. Those are just very basic judgment. Mm-hmm. However, how uh, basic decisions. But what the judgment that I'm talking about is more like the internal voice that constantly chatting, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should do more of this, you're not enough, you're not good enough, what's wrong with you, you're an imposter, you know, you should work harder, you know, on and on and on and on, constantly. So she shared this with me that she's feeling like, she was feeling like she's drowning in her own thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how many of us experience that. Sometimes in the middle of the night, we know we're supposed to sleep because we have a long day of work tomorrow. And then one thought leads to another. The next thing we're like overwhelmed by all of these chatting in our own mind. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the work is how to quiet down that chattering and how to um, allow ourselves to let go, to come into the present moment. Now, mm-hmm. why is that important? Now, I think of myself, uh, sometimes I explain this to my clients and also students that I work with. Uh, I said, uh, I think of myself as a swimming coach. And what I mean by that is, if you are drowning in your worries and your regrets, then you're wasting a life. But if you learn how to swim, where you you can rise above some of these emotions, some of these uh, chattering, then you can see life for what it is. Right? You can, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the most important things in learning how to swim is learning how to breathe. If you hold your breath, you sink. Same with life. If you hold your breath, you will sink into worries and regrets. So I'm going to pause here for a moment. And uh, uh, Dr. Perkinson, I invite you to take a breath with me. And I also invite the audience to just go ahead and take a breath in. And then breathe out. So as I continue to speak, just allow yourself to follow your breath in and out. And what you will notice uh, is the moment you are aware of the breath, the breath flowing in, the breath flowing out, you will notice that the breath is always in the present moment. The breath cannot be of the past. It cannot be the future. It's just now. Mm-hmm. So breathe in and out. You will also notice that the moment you're aware of the breath, you are connecting the mind, the thinking mind, with the feeling body, right? As you breathe, you could feel the body. And if you intentionally following the breath in and out, you will connect the thinking mind with the feeling body. Now, most of us, we're stuck in our head. We spend 24-7. For some of us, when we get to sleep, then that's when we 
can let go of the thinking. So I think what happened is that for for many leaders, uh, we overuse our uh, our capability, uh, our thinking capability, and we underused our feeling capability, mm-hmm. our emotional intelligence. Uh, the, for me, the definition of emotional intelligence is to be aware of one's own feelings at the deep level. How am I feeling in this moment? And I can only be aware of that feelings if I'm aware of my breath and my body and I'm fully present to the experience. And then when I'm fully aware of my emotional state of present, then I can be more empathetic, more in tune with others' uh, emotion. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where the term emotional intelligence comes from, right? Sure. So the, the practice of mindfulness allows me first to be in tune with my own feelings, my own thoughts. Then it's also allowed me to be in tune and empathetic with other people. So, so that's one example. And, and uh, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. Let me, let me just uh, interrupt you just for a moment. Um, and because for me, the connection immediately became how important that is in, in leadership, um, particularly mm. when you mentioned the, the chatter. Often yes. leaders are, are isolated um, and at the same time mm. they are surrounded you know, by all these voices uh, that, are, that are experienced voices, that are mm-hmm. voices of fear, and, and all of these are in the same kind of mental space. And so yeah. just being, being in, in the moment, um, something you said very early really resonated with me about silencing the chatter around you. The mm. other thing that you that you said that resonated with me uh, from a leadership perspective is the ability to um, go back and and be aware of one's own emotional status because. Mm. Um, you you cannot attend to the needs, desires, and wants of others if you're not fully aware of your own um, your own place. And so, thinking yeah. about the young lady that you you described in your story, who came to you and said, um, "I don't feel loved," um, mm. that that was that was a need she had, and as a mm. leader, to get the most out of her to get her to do what you needed her to do, even in moments um, uh, that she could not come. I, I, I imagine in the story you mm-hmm. told, she was, she was overwhelmed and just couldn't go mm. forward. Um, I have yeah. often described to my students that uh, a, an indicator of good leadership is when people do what is required of them when you're not watching. And mm-hmm. so you so that in this case you inspire them to do the the uh, to take care of their responsibilities and in this case to go out and perform uh, on the mm-hmm. stage as she needed 
Um, but but um, you didn't have to supervise that. And so yeah. there are immediate implications for leadership to understand that she had a need. And it was yeah. your responsibility also as a leader or as the leader in that uh, that uh, dance company, I mean, the, the theater company, to actually uh, provide um, and, and address the needs of the people in the company. So I think, yeah. I, th- I think uh, at least for me, um, that there are a lot of really um, immediate uh, benefits of the, yes. the getting those voices and getting the noise um, out of your yes. practice in decision making. So uh, thank you for that. Yes. Mm, thank you for that reflection. And I think uh, one one la- uh, w- one more point I want to, to to emphasize when you mentioned about the the challenge that a leader face uh, faces in the work is a combination of uh, dealing with a lot of complexity, right? Because human relationships are just complex. And then the work environment, there's so many demands coming from all directions. And then also there's high level of uncertainty. I don't, you know, we don't know what's happening tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like how to be with all of this, uh, you know, the ups and downs, the, the complexity of relationship, the demands. Now, if one is unconscious, then you will just get pulled by the wind, right? Pulled by this, by that, you know, have no anchor, no roots. Mm-hmm. Now, the practice of mindfulness, I, I, I see it almost like an anchor. You allow yourself to have an anchor. If you are a, a boat, you want to have an anchor. Otherwise, you'd be washing, you, you'd be washed out into the ocean, lost, and so many people are lost because they don't have an anchor, a way to anchor them. Same with a, a tree needs deep roots and be able to bend in the wind, right? So the practice of mindfulness and the practice of compassion allow us to have these very deep roots, deep anchor, so that we know at the end of the day, who am I and the humanity that lives in here? within me? How do I cultivate that humanity so then I could be of service to humanity, to, to uh, the world? And so uh, to me, the practice of mindfulness help us anchor ourselves in the present moment. And the present moment is the only thing that is real. Everything else is made up. The past is gone. The future is nothing but imagination. Mm-hmm. The present is the only thing that is real. So how do we be with what is real, what is truth in this moment? And from that place, I think we make that much more effective and, and uh, loving decisions in our lives. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Holm. I, I, as I told you before we got on, you know, it would be <laughs> fast as 30 minutes and we, <laughs> yes, we are already, we're already um, over our time, but I, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on board and being a guest. 
for those of you who are listening and would like to uh, learn more about the work of Dr. Holm and the MindKind Institute, uh, feel free to go uh, to their website at mindkindinstitute.com. Um, and I'm struck by uh, the the website you have and the words uh, lead by wisdom, succeed by love. Um, uh, very powerful um, uh, words of encouragement to the leaders that are out there. Um, and um, hopefully there's some people who will, um, will look more as a result of this conversation. Uh, we'll look more into what it means to be mindful in your practice of leadership. And so again, mm. um, thank you um, for joining us. Um, mm. Also, thank, uh, thank you, those of you who are listening and tuning in uh, this month. Join us next month. Um, where we have other great uh, leaders. Um, And so to my listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you.